if students don't think you're cool, they're not signing leases with you. It's still that. It will always be that. The one thing that's the same with students every single year is they only care about what's cool. So your team is essential. Right behind your branding and, and your office would be third, in my opinion. Let's talk about the photos and the renderings that you use on your property website. Every prospective renter will tell you that your website's gallery is going to play a significant role in their decision to visit the property and inquire about leasing. If that's the case, those photos and video assets better be attractive. Did you know that 61% of students in southeastern states prefer a bedroom photo that has daylight coming from the window versus evening light? However, 69% of students in Midwestern states prefer evening light. Isn't that something you would like to know if you're building a website for a property in Tennessee versus Missouri? Here's another one. Were you aware that 78% of students that were recently surveyed prefer exterior building photos that are set in sunrise or sunset lighting versus midday lighting? I didn't realize that, but in a world where Every property website is trying to attract as much interest as possible. Don't you think that's some important data to consider? So how can you get your hands on this data? Well, those three data points I just mentioned are all from an annual report titled Designing for the Future. The report is spearheaded by Euphorus VR and supported by several student housing companies like Asset Living, Cardinal Group, and Landmark Properties. Why is there so much support for this? Because these companies want to make sure they are keeping their hands on the pulse of what students are thinking. Specifically with Euphorus, they spearhead this report because their graphic designers want to understand our customer even better than we do. It's one of the things that makes Euphorus so great at what they do. We've talked about Euphorus VR on the podcast before because of just how impressed I've been with their photorealistic renderings and how their process saved one of my development clients a ton of money by exposing design issues that were not called in the review process with the architect. Their final product is so realistic that I've even had interior designers who looked at their rendering and could not distinguish the rendering apart from the post-construction photos. Also, when the pandemic broke out and we were trying to figure out how to offer VR tours, Euphoria stepped up and provided a very low-cost option for existing properties who didn't have VR tours already to scan their properties and create them. They are a talented and a fantastic company, and I'm proud to call them a sponsor of this podcast. If you are needing photorealistic renderings of an upcoming development or rehab, go to euphorus.com. That's U-F-O-R-I-S.com. At their website, you can also download a free copy of their 2023 Designing for the Future report. There's so much valuable insight in this report, so go get it even if you don't have an immediate need for renderings. Again, that's euphorus.com. We'll also provide a link in the show notes. Welcome to the Student Housing Insight Podcast, where we are putting you in touch with the people who bring student housing to life. I'm your host, Wesley Dees. I'm also the CEO of Student Housing Insight. If this is your first time catching the podcast, number one, welcome. And also want to let you know that Student Housing Insight isn't just a podcast. We are also a platform for the student housing community. So go check us out at studenthousinginsight.com. 
I've got a very lovely co-host joining me today, Jessica Mancuso with Asset Living. How are you? I am well, Wes. Thanks for having me on today. What a pleasure to be able to co-host with you. How fun. You've been on the podcast before, but it's been a panel or something that we recorded that we ended up using for the audio version of the podcast. And so this this is fantastic to have you in this co-host chair. So thanks so much for taking the time out. But for our audience that may not know who Jessica is, give us a little background on, you know, what it is that you do today for Asset Living and probably just a little bit of your origin story as well. Yeah. Hey, everyone out there listening. Great to be here with you guys today and Wes. I started with Asset about seven years ago, and so we'll kind of get into my journey. But as far as what I do for Asset Living today is I oversee the new development student housing arm for the company. And basically, that means that I oversee kind of from inception with clients of a future project all the way until the delivery of when we get residents in the building and we pass the asset on to the operational team. So everything in between from consulting on future deliveries of, you know, what that look and feel will be like with architects and the design of it to managing the everyday business operations of the regional team. So currently I have four regionals and one traveling corporate marketing specialist on the team and 15 sites really within our portfolio this year. So the everyday business is really my main task at hand. And then I also work hand in hand West with the business development division. And so we work on kind of new client relationships together and making sure we grow the division itself with our good friend jason Fort. correct correct <laughs> he's been on with you before he's a good guy yes <laughs> he's fantastic love working with them so i know you're a california girl and yeah. living it up in houston now so tell us a little bit about how your life intersected with student housing sure so actually i'm in denver now west but um oh, okay that's I, right you yeah. told me that yeah, no, it's all good. I am a Southern California girl, grew up in Huntington Beach, California. So shout out to all my Southern California people out there. I actually come from an immigrant family. You know, we came over, um, I'm Vietnamese and Chinese, but my family came over during the war. And my grandfather actually went to school and got his master's degree and then started working for McDonald Douglas, which is now Boeing. Mm-hmm. Um, and he moved the families to Southern California. So that's where we kind of started our career paths there. And it's been a great kind of journey since then. I was raised from a single mom and I was raised by really strong women. So if you know anything about me and kind of what I'm passionate about, it's really women in leadership. And I had the opportunity a couple of years ago to host a women's luncheon at IMN in Dana Point, California. So that's Southern California too. So it kind of brought me full circle back to yeah. all the things that I grew up with and everything that was instilled in me. So it was a really cool experience I got to have. But that's just who I am. I'm, I'm really a hard worker. And that comes from, you know, that mom mindset of that single mom. And so shout out to her and all the strong women out there. Yeah. Yeah. And shout out to the W Collective as well. You're one of the yeah. members with that as well. 
any updates? We haven't haven't got an update from Erica or anybody in a, a couple yeah. of months now. How are things going? Do you guys have anything exciting coming up? Yeah, I'm sure that you'll see W Collective at Interface again this coming year. But you know, I think that looking into other conference plays and things like that, I have to t- also touch base with Erica. I'm not as involved as as Julie is from Asset from that side of things, but I'm sure they have a lot of things in the works, and it's all very exciting to highlight. You know, women in business and especially in student housing. I always say if you're at the table and you have a seat at the table, pull up a chair for the next woman lung. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that journey. I mean, what kind of made you ready for the position that you're in today? Yeah. So kind of talk about my start in property management. I started with Avalon Bay multifamily. I was just like a leasing consultant. I did a couple of things before property management. I studied marketing and I have a banking background, but my aunt actually did property management for a while. And um, that was always something I was interested in. So I started with multifamily. Then I discovered what student housing was. And I'm like, wow, this is a different ball game, right? It's creative. It's fun. The tenant base and demo really keeps you young. So I'm like, this is for me. Or it makes you old really fast. They stay the same age. What's that movie from, uh, yeah, Matthew McConaughey? Yes, yeah. So I discovered student housing and I started my career with ACC uh, in Irvine and they have just such a well-oiled machine. And shout out to that team for really bringing me into the fold. I didn't even know what a turn was back then. And you know, they had to teach me what that meant. I'm like, wow, this is a whole whole big meeting, um, what turn means. And they really took me under their wing. And I will always have fond memories of my days at um, ACC. My husband at the time got a promotion offer to be able to move to Colorado. So that's why I moved to Colorado from California. We moved there and ACC didn't have a site where I was moving. I moved to Colorado Springs and... So I linked up with a recruiter over at People's S. You might know Jonna Smith. And she put me in touch with Alex Abernathy and Jason Fort. And <laughs> before I even moved out there, I signed the offer letter to do a new lease up in Colorado Springs for UCCS. Um, and that was with Gil Bain Development. Yep. And that was seven years ago. So I started on, on the ground as a lease up specialist, stayed on as the GM to learn operations, stayed on about 10 months. And then I just fell in love with you know, the marketing leasing side said, Hey, Alex, Joe Goodwin, is there an opportunity for me to continue you know, the passion side that I have around marketing and leasing? And they're like, yeah, let's talk about you being a regional marketing director, which now today Asset holds that position as a regional leasing and training director. So I was kind of like one of the, the first RMDs over there and became part of that team for a couple years. And then from there, I had a baby left on maternity. And I was rolling up to Jason Ford at the time because he was still seeing oversight of the operational sites. So Jason, I'm ready. I was like a month into maternity. And if you know me, Wes, I just said I'm a hard worker. I was was like ready to get back to work. I'm like, I love my baby, but I'm also so passionate about like career and being advanced in that and and doing a good job as as far as being a mom, a wife, and a business lady too. So I'm like, Jason, what do you have for me when I get back? So he's like, hey, when you get back, your portfolio is not ready yet. You're going to help Alex kind of oversee the new development department and, and just kind of launch the site's because we were right in the middle of launching the site three years ago. And so I said, yeah, no problem. Love you, Deb. Let's do it. 30 days in, Alex is like, you're it. 
And I'm like, what do you mean you're great? He's like, you're right. You're, you're going to help me kind of oversee this as Alex kind of moved transition to the poetic side of things. And like, yeah. here we go. So that's where I'm at. And that was my journey since, you know, um, multifamily with Avalon Bay, ACC, and then now Asset for the past seven years. And I love calling Asset home. You know, it's been a really great ride. I've had such great mentors along the way. So Avalon Bay, ACC, and Asset. Yeah. So the next All move yeah. <laughs> One of the reasons I, I brought you on today as a, as a co-host is yeah. we recently had a, uh, <laughs> and I laugh about this because for those that attended, you know about the technical difficulty that yes. we had with uh, Jess joining, but we had a webinar last month that mm-hmm. I want to play the audio for everybody today as part of the podcast. And it was something that we did a couple of years ago cooperatively with Euphorus VR, which is you know, a company we've talked about several times on the yeah. podcast. That, we love you for us, for sure. Yeah. They do some fantastic renderings. And if you're <laughs> a developer out there and you're looking for renderings that just completely are set apart from anything else in the industry I've really ever looked at, make sure you give them a call. But anyway, we a couple of years ago had this kind of idea of there's a lot of folks that I interact with, you know, on a kind of a monthly basis that reach out to me and say, Hey, Wes, you know, I've been on site for two or three years. I'm kind of interested in possibly doing a new development. I don't know what that looks like. And so we put together a webinar that was called marketing and leasing new devs and did that a couple of years ago. I think the title was actually a little bit different a couple of years ago, but did that. You were on that panel. It was a fantastic webinar then. And then earlier this year, the folks at Euphorus came back and said, Hey, we want to do this again. And we said, yeah, fantastic. Let's, let's try to get the crew back together. And we had a couple of new faces on there as well. But the feedback that I got from that was really just incredible. And the help that everybody on that panel and the insight that they were able to give to those folks in the audience who are you know, thinking about, and sure. sometimes they're not even thinking about, they're, they're kind of being told, hey, we're selling this property. We're going to be building this property. What do you think about doing a new lease up? And they've never really thought about it. And so mm-hmm. this has kind of been a perfect opportunity to really lay out from the folks that are doing it every single year because everyone on this panel, you know, has been doing it for, you know, three, four plus years. And the feedback that we've got has been incredible. So I wanted to make sure that we put out the audio version of it. Yeah. Um, a lot of folks that just don't have the time to catch up on YouTube or the replay of the webinar. So, and because you had some technical difficulties, you were not actually able to be a part of, of the panel. Such a bummer. <laughs> it, it was a bummer, but I thought, you know what? It would be perfect to have you come on and actually co-host this episode with me. So we could dive a little bit deeper in, you know, what it is that, excites you about new development and kind of what goes into this role that you're in. But yeah. I guess that's my next question. What is it about new development that, that gets you excited? Oh my gosh, so much. And that's why I think, you know, I agree to come back and help lead the charge for asset and new development. I remember just being a Lisa specialist on the ground and, and, just loving the branding aspect of things and launching a new name and, and getting to know a market and being able to infiltrate it and take it over and everybody having that 
wow factor when your new development came in. That's just so exciting to me. And it still excites me today. Now we're launching multiple. I'm not launching just one as least of specials, but I'm launching now 15 of them or, or more, depending on how many you have in the portfolio. And the newness of every deal is so cool. And what that means is, you know, you're working with clients who have done this many times before. They've launched in different markets. They kind of know what they're doing and they're leaning on you as a true partner. Or sometimes you're working with clients who haven't been in the new development space or even student space before. So you're really educating them on what that process looks like, you know, what the best practices are. And so it's a full gamut of what you're doing every day. And every day is so different. And it's just a lot of fun. So that's why I love new development. I not only love the new development for that aspect, but Wes, I just love the people I get to work with as well. I mean, honestly, like we like to say it, but we have the most brilliant, marketing-minded individuals on our new development team. I get to work with regionals who have been through lease-ups of their own and then regionals who are so experienced and newer regionals who are just coming from lease-ups. And they just love what they do every day and they love being in the new development world. And so it's encouraging to me to be able to work alongside them and I never say like, oh, you know, I'm the leader of this department or I'm this. It's just, just like it's such a team effort in our department. It's such a family in our department. And I feel like that's such a TikTok thing where it's like a red flag kids say nowadays, oh, if a company says you're family, that's a red flag. But truly, like one of our core values at Asset is family. And it's really, truly that. Like I can call them if I need anything. They can call me if they need anything. And it's just such a support system. So that's really why I love what I do too. So let's talk a little bit about that timeline from pre-development where you guys may, a client may, you know, that's a developer may get in touch with you and, and maybe they found a piece of land or maybe they've identified a market. What's kind of the next thing that they have you do in that pre-development phase that you think is, is probably kind of, cause I'm, you and I've had conversations about this yeah. before. That phase is so critical to the overall success and really determining if a project should even happen or not. Mm-hmm. Walk us through some of the things with that process that maybe you know, our audience members you know, haven't really thought about. You know, maybe it's something yeah. that you're constantly kind of scratching your head. Why, why don't the, our clients know this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think like right now, what's most important is the temporary leasing office space prior to pre-construction. So a lot of our clients will wait towards the time that we have the PMA, we're starting to lease launch to where they're like, okay, we're going to finalize the space here. But I would love for our industry and our clients to be able to look at obtaining the leasing office space Sooner. I think if we just like we work on our deals, right? We start sooner, the better the progress is. We have a longer runway for success in launching that brand. It's the same thing. You're going to get a better location, better foot traffic, better just eye appeal if you start earlier and looking for that temporary space. And so that's something really important that I know that some of our more experienced clients understand, but some of our less experienced clients in that space, that's something that's really important as well. Something for us in pre-construction is we're kind of always looking at, okay, who has the most talent in such and such market? That's where we're kind of earmarking them or bookmarking them for that next deal coming up because we have a lot of team members who stay on new development and like to move from new dev to new dev. And so 
for me, I'm like, okay, this person just loves the, you know, Southeast or the West Coast. Like I'm going to make sure that my deals are around that. So I'm always kind of, I always tell my teams to continue to recruit, never stop recruiting. And I'm always kind of earmarking talent for the next deals because I think right now as an industry, and I think staffing overall is so hard to find that truly wonderful talent that if you have good talent, you want to keep them and finding good talent is just as important as keeping your good talent. Yeah. Just curious. I mean, what's kind of the, because one of the the things that I always struggled with when it came to uh, when I was working on the development side and being the person who was hiring that, that lease up specialist, (laughs) you get through kind of that 12 to 18 month process with that person and they've established friendships in that market. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard for them to start thinking about going on to the next project. Yeah. Is that something you seem to, that you guys struggle with as well? Or Um, I wouldn't say it's a struggle Wes. I would say that it's a win-win for both sides, right? Because we're just one team at Asset, whether you're in USEV or Ops or one team. So if you're going to have a talented team member who says, hey, Jess, because I normally have these conversations with each individual person, these subspecialists and leasing manager on our teams around, I would say when they hit 90%, like, hey, what are you thinking about doing next year? It's never like, hey, you have to be in new development next year. It's, hey, what does your heart tell you? What do you want to do? Have your goals changed since the last time we talked? And I have these one-on-one conversations with every single person on our team. And they say, hey, you know what? I really love this market. I think I really want to stay. I want to learn ops. I'm like, I get that. I stayed and I learned ops. And it's a great opportunity for you to tutelage under you know, one of our great operational regionals. I think you should go for it. And so we'll have them interview with that operational regional. If they're like, hey, no, I really want to go to a new market. I want to make new friends. I want to see the country. Like, I'm excited about that. I'm like, yes, well, let's do it. Here's where I think, like, is it going to be a good fit for you based on the product type, based on the client personality, based on your strengths? So those are all evolving conversations that I have with each person. Yeah, Yeah, that's one reason I, you know, some of my clients on the development side, when they start asking the question, okay, should we manage this ourselves? Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, unless if you're going to be like a landmark or a Dinnerstein where you're going to be really committed to student housing development and you're going to be trying to get three or four projects a year. Yeah, you have a big pipeline, right? Yeah. You really need to, at least on the lease upside, I feel like you need to go with a third party manager, you know, a group like Asset that's mm-hmm. got a lot of experience with it because those employees, or even those prospects for that lease up specialist position, they're going to be looking at it from a standpoint of, okay, how can I grow with this company? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're a developer that is doing one project a year and that's not necessarily something that you're going to be building out and maintaining a portfolio, yeah. it's really tough for that person to commit. And it's, it's really tough for that development to get the best. You know, a lot of our talent comes to our team because they know that we've had such a strong reputation in development over the last 15 years. You know, we've done multiple lease-ups. And so they want to come and be on our team and they have a desire to be on our team because of the reputation that we've built and the legacy that we have in the new development space that you know other companies are now creating their own divisions and their own ecosystems around new developments. And you know, that's exciting to see because it, yeah. I feel like in a part way, we, we trailblaze that and we have such a strong process of how we do things. And it's great to see kind of the other players in the space taking a look at 
at new development and, and saying, hey, we need to really pay attention to this area of the sector and create a division around it. So it's, it's really cool to see I'm excited to work with all those leaders as well. Yeah, absolutely. Before we get to the audio from the webinar, I wanted to really just kind of ask that question for the audience. If this is something that they want to get more involved with, what kind of things would you suggest that they start doing, start looking at in order to prepare themselves for it? Yeah, so I'm going to talk about more intrinsic things because I'm going to talk right to the, the team members on the ground themselves and on the on-site team members that want to be on a new development team. So, hey, you out there, if you're listening, you want to be on in the new development team, you're interested. And first, I would ask that you be nimble because in new developments, things change all of the time, whether it's construction date changes and you have delays or you have concessions that might change often because of the volatileness of the market, just depending on what market you're in, State College, for instance. So it really helps that you be nimble as you're coming into a new development because things change. You have to go with the flow. And with going with the flow, you have to embrace change. And I promise you that if you stay nimble, that that will help your career, not only with this lease up that you have in front of you, but within your whole sphere of what you're going to do, all the positions that you're going to have in your career moving forward. That's fantastic advice. (laughs) Yeah. That's something that we look for in someone. If they're willing to embrace change, that's who we look to hire. You know, second thing we look for is someone who embraces innovation. I really lead with the mindset of continuous improvement. I know Stacey Lokoki, our EVP of operations on the whole student platform does too. And that's something that we always champion. So I feel like just because it's done that way before doesn't mean we have to do it that way in the future. If there's a process that we need to look at, a marketing tactic, a strategy that we can improve, and that comes from a leasing manager, a CA, a leasing specialist, a GM, let's do it. Let's analyze it. Let's make sure it's effective, makes sense, but let's embrace it and bring it into the fold because that's something that will make our department so much better and our company better. And you think that's why I've enjoyed my time at Asset so much is because I'm really allowed and, and given the tools to be able to make those decisions of what's right for our department and what's not. Awesome. Awesome. I think the third thing is just they need to know their market. Being successful, whether you're a developer or you're an onsite team member, is understanding the smallest little nuances of your market. It's funny that the little 500 was brought up in Indianapolis because in Bloomington, really for IU, because that's such a pivotal event in that market. And if you have ever leased stuff in Bloomington, you know that event, right? So if you're not coming from a market, you're going to do a lease up in and you're going to a market you've never operated in. It's very important to look at your college house reports, look at your internal data and be the experts in that market because your clients will be looking at you to really lead them in what's going on in the market day to day and year over year. Well, great. Well, hey, uh, before we cut to the uh, webinar recording, anything that you would say to the audience, hey, pay attention to when this question's asked or 
That's a great question. I would say the timeline of everything, even though markets start later and some start earlier, it it just depends. But most of the timelines are pretty spot on with when you should lease, you know, start lease launch, when you should start your digital campaign. I know Billy touches on when you need to start your ground game, when you need to start your SEO PPC. So all those timelines are really going to be important when you are laying down a track for leasing up an asset. Well, fantastic. Well, let's cut to that now and we'll uh, talk on the outro a little bit about any other takeaways you have. Awesome. Enjoy it, everyone. Let's go ahead and jump into introducing today's panel. I really wish I had this group of folks that I could have talked to before I did my first lease up. So with that being said, let's just go ahead and Adam, I think we'll start with you. Thank you, Wes. Um, hi, everyone. I'm very excited to be part of the panel today. My name is Adam Jay. I'm the Associate Vice President of New Development Marketing at Landmark Properties. I've worked in student housing for 17 years, uh, which sounds crazy to say out loud. I certainly don't feel that old, but I guess that's the case. And this coming fall at Landmark, we've got 11 new developments that are going to be opening. Great. Billy Wilkinson here. I'm the CEO of Threshold. For most of you that know, Threshold has been working. We start, really cut our teeth in student housing when we opened in 2013. We're working on seven new starts right now. Four of those are student housing projects. Three of those are in other industries like uh, senior housing. And this is going to make me feel old too, Adam, but uh, I've been doing this for a little over 28 years in some sort of sales and marketing capacity. So excited to be here with everyone. My name is Joanna Adolphs. I work at Cardinal Group Management. I am the Director of Marketing and Strategy. I've been at Cardinal Group for six years now, and I've been in the industry for 15. I have a ton of lease-up experience, so I have ops experience. I've gone back and forth between the marketing department and the operations, so I'm excited to be here. We have seven lease-ups lined up for next year and a handful that have not been officially signed over to us, so we expect to have double digits this year, and we're really excited and getting prepared and ramped up for that. My name is Sarah Maxson. I am the new development specialist for CA Student Living. I've been with CA for six years and I've been in the industry for almost nine, upcoming my ninth year anniversary. So it's very exciting. And this year, our company is really excited to deliver four beautiful new developments across the country. And similar to Joanna, I've done lease-ups as a property manager. I've done operations. So I'm excited to be here today and share some new development knowledge. Well, fantastic. Let's kind of set the stage here a little bit. This is really kind of geared towards folks that have not ever you know, worked on a, on a new development and to kind of give what goes into getting ready for move-in day. First of all, you've got the construction process, which is going to start somewhere 18 to 24 months before you put that first head in the bed, right? And then before that, you've got another 12 to 24 months that you're going to have for just for the pre-development part. So these projects really get started anywhere between two and a half to four years before you're able to actually move somebody in. So with that being said, when is the marketing plan created? And I wanted to, uh, I was actually going to start off with, with Jessica on this, but while I go and help her really quick, when you guys start with uh, the data points of what we're trying to get when we do our market analysis. I think on the landmark side, we're very fortunate to be a fully integrated firm. So a lot of the initial research and kind of analytics of the market, our development team 
has already done that homework for us by the time it's coming to my desk and we're you know getting ready to put together a marketing plan. But going into any new market, it's very important to understand, number one, who is your target demographic going to be? And the obvious answer is college students, but not all college students are the same. And you know, we do see differences in what is important in an off-campus apartment for a student region to region. And so it's very important to understand that. And also, I think having a good understanding of how you're going to communicate your products offering to that student. I think in a lot of markets, maybe social media or, you know, really fun marketing events is a great way to communicate and advertise and promote your property. But in other markets, it could be a different strategy. So I think just starting there. So, you know, before you get too far into building out your plan is a really great place to begin. Yeah, I think the the only thing I'd add to that is really understanding the typical student at the university that you're going to be serving. So what does a student at the University of Austin, Texas look like? What does a student at the University of Wisconsin look like? Because to Adam's point, that's going to drive a lot of where you're going to focus your dollars. And it's also going to kind of help dictate when does that marketing budget actually need to start? Some universities, it's really important to be on the ground very early, you know, spring semester before you launch your leasing in August and other universities, it's not as important because the market's not as saturated. So what does the typical student look like and what does the typical student gravitate towards? Because if you're not creating marketing material or you're not creating content that the student at that university finds engaging, it doesn't particularly matter how much money you spend because they're not going to pay attention to it because they're so flooded with constant social media and constant advertising that you really have to make sure that you're creating content that stands out. I would chime in. I think it's a longer timeline than people would expect. It really starts with the building of the brand for us. Your brand really does make or break your Lisa. It's really what you're selling the community as is your, is your branding from the beginning. So we try to get in as early as possible. Honestly, if somebody is starting construction, breaking construction ground and wants to get with us and start talking about what marketing looks like, we're happy to have conversations as early as two years in advance, especially to get a, be a part of that branding process. Like us being able to give an opinion on being the experts of the area and experts of students and helping out clients, picking the correct branding for the community, because we know really how important that is. We really encourage clients to engage us far far before we really start hiring staff or running social ads or even like thinking about those things. So I would say in line with construction kicking off, we, we want to get started as early as possible. Talking about budget versus plan. We always, when threshold gets involved, we're always seeing it that the budget's done because the budget's depending on the size, number of beds, market, so many things are really setting that in place that the budget is ready to go. And then we get into the marketing plan and everybody here has touched on a lot of great things. I'd add one other caveat is that as you're looking at the timeline for this, one of the things that can elongate the timeline is certainly the number of decision makers you have in the marketing process. Quite often, if you're, if you have only one, say, particular interested party that's making decisions, you can move much more quickly. So as you start off with the name, because we typically follow the same plan, at least with regard to it's going to be a very waterfall Gantt chart type process that we're going to follow. But when we have several different, when we have developers, when we have operators, when we have investors and multiple parties that need to give opinions, depending on how they interact, it can really elongate your marketing timeline. And that's something to take in consideration as you're building that plan and the timeline out. 
Well, great. Let's move on to this next question beyond the budget. And guys, sorry, Jessica is just having some computer problems we can't get past. So if she can fix them, she'll join us. If not, we're going to move along. So I wanted to ask you guys, I've just launched a poll to kind of see who's in our audience. The overwhelming majority is site level staff at this point and then regional staff beyond that. For those that have never done a marketing budget or marketing plan for a new dev, how much different is it from a stabilized property? Very different. It's completely different. So one thing would be just dollars spent would be one of the first things I say. We You spend way more money with a lease up marketing plan than you would with operational. So sometimes we get new clients doing their first development and that's a big sticker shock for them up front, but it's so important really. You can save money at the end of the day if you start strong and then taper off later. So when we go into a new development and somebody's really trying to be, you know, budget friendly. It's not a good idea. We always have those conversations up front, but it's worth the money and it's worth the cost to get the high rents that you want to get the quality residents and to fill up as fast as you would like to. The timeline's completely different. Like we said, we're pre-leasing and starting marketing. You are probably thinking about your pre-leasing when you have an operational deal. You're going to do your renewals and then you're going to go find your new leases and there's a cadence to that. You don't have renewals at this deal. So we're trying to get in the semester before your office, your temporary office even opens up. So we're talking 18 months in advance sometimes of uh, the first move in for you know marketing. You're doing all outreach. You don't have residents to renew. You don't have that cushion of that 30 to 40% of residents staying where you only have to fill up 60% of the building. You also don't have a building to sell. So you're selling a dream. You're selling you know, a story at this point, you have to get people to trust you that these beautiful renderings we're showing you is exactly what the building's going to be. So brand awareness, they need to know who you are. Nobody knows that you exist. You got to go out and get people to know who you are. You got to make them excited enough that they'll come do an action for you. Take a tour, follow your Instagram, eventually sign a lease. There's a lot of extra layers, I would say, to the marketing plan for a new development than a stabilized asset. And it's a lot more fun if I can plug that as well. I think I love the new development marketing. Just kind of curious because this leasing season, especially in the tier ones have gone so well. And just wondering if you guys are experiencing any new deliveries this year where because of the increased enrollment at those flagship universities that you're seeing that the spend is not as much as what it has been on a new dev in the past. I don't know if anybody yeah, I think that and paired with the construction delays of COVID, we were in a cadence that new deliveries were coming every single year. Students were used to it. And then we kind of went through a gap where that didn't happen. So it's new and exciting. And we know that, you know, with universities, we're turning over students. There, we have a new generation in there who hasn't gotten to experience the fun lifestyle of living somewhere brand new. So I think there's a lot of things that have come into play with why we've been so successful. But Obviously, the marketing spins have been down on some of our lease ups. A lot of them have been a lot easier. But like I said, we don't plan for that. We go into it with a full healthy budget, with a full plan. And then we get the bonus of being able to taper off at the end very early and save all those dollars and use some of that for move-in day. Make a really good, great experience at move-in day for you know residents to renew right away. Those types of things. We'll go ahead and move on to the next question. And Billy, this is your time to shine, man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this was the whole reason we invited you on to this because Hi. I want nice to somebody want me. I want to move into digital marketing and I'm going to start with just that simple question. When should a website be in place for a new development? Yeah. Getting into pre-leasing for sure. And, and I won't say timelines hard because it depends on everybody, but the first thing that you want to do is you've got to get through the name and the logo and have the, something that you're going to put on the landing page. 
So that depends on where you are in the process. And we always start with a landing page because it allows everyone to start getting leads early, even before there's the ability for anyone to apply online. That is join our VIP list. It starts there because you can start capturing lead information to where uh, the teams will have just this bank of people that they can go contact. I mean, these are potential residents that they can go get. And that happens once you've got at least the name and logo down and you're ready to get out there. And so this is when you're starting to put construction banners out. You know, we're doing that different on buildings and whether it's a 19-story tower in College Station, we're using the 17th floor to have something face campus. We're doing fence wraps that we're putting around the campus in Columbus. So we've done that. We place the URL. We drive traffic to get leads. Now, you definitely want to have at least a minimum of certain very quality renderings ready to go on the landing page. And we've gone away from being able, lifestyle images are still used in some cases, but by and large, as long as you've got some floor plans, you've got some renderings that you're able to show in the landing page, it's viable to start getting the interest and the leads. And then once you're ready to get into full leasing and pre-lease mode, you've got that website where you have much more of the information necessary to build it out because the websites are typically nine to 16 pages. It needs to be that holistic experience that UX is going to drive people where they can go in. You've got your digital campaigns running, you're driving the traffic and they're able to go in and get that experience to say, all right, what do the amenities look like? You know, what do the rooms look like? What are my options? What's availability? What's pricing? Once all of that's ready and you're, you can put that into the website and listen, we have seen just at this point too is and this this wasn't like this in the past especially pre-pandemic is renderings and flyovers and virtual reality all of that is completely viable the quality of them today are so different from what they were several years ago that it is and, and you look at too is like our audience is is so digital that this experience for them is completely within their wheelhouse and so once you've got all that ready, you're in really great shape in terms of just leasing online. And while we're on the subject of, of renderings, and I agree with you, I think that is the most important part. Uh, I wanted to go back to the survey really quick and talk a little bit about what those students said. This was done. The Euphorus team selected a set of renderings and created alternative versions of them in different lighting, levels of staging, and number of people. We presented each rendering and its alternative version to 518 to 24-year-olds throughout the U.S. and asked them which they like better. So here's a couple of things. It's probably a little hard for folks to see here, but it was interesting to see daylight versus evening and how some of the males preferred the evening one versus females were typically, you know, they like the lighter ones. Same thing with geography. We saw that with a lot of the southern states. This one, for example, folks from the southern states like the bedroom that showed the brighter sun coming in versus kind of the evening or whatever. Same thing with the exterior pictures. And one thing that I thought was really kind of unique, because I always thought for amenity pictures that folks wanted to be able to see people using them. But actually, coming back from this report, most people prefer to see those spaces without people in them. I'm just curious, is that surprising any of you guys that the students would prefer not to see anybody in the pictures? I think it just shows the importance of the amenities and what they're looking at. And the first thing everyone looks at when they go to a website is a floor plan. 
I mean, they'll go to the homepage and the first place yeah. they go, it's shown in data's floor plan, but amenities are critical and it's there when they want to use the amenities. It's not the people in them. That's important to them. Well, Hey, let's move along. I want to talk a little bit about SEO and uh, PPC efforts. When should that begin? When you're getting into pre-leasing, you want to start about two to three months before pre-leasing is typically where you want to kick it off. You can run different campaigns. You'll have social media running. You've got paid social media versus owned social media, which you may take a little bit of a different approach with depending on which staff you've got hired at the time. That's something to consider. But also, it's not just how you play with the actual campaigns, but it's the budget within the campaigns. Because as you start to pick up traction, you can dial. I mean, it's typically a very aggressive budget that's used on on these lease ups. And as we start to see lease velocity move forward, and whether it's a hockey stick or whatever, we can dial down. I mean, not too early. You want to keep that thing running as long as you can and then not stop the marketing, but dial it down as you get to certain percentages and occupants or in um, uh, leasing. I agree with what Billy said. I think that the other important thing to consider is, what type of content are you creating for those early SEO and PPC ads that are running, right? Because we all are aware that sometimes those those SEO and PPC ads take a while to stabilize and become really effective. So you want to be really strategic with the type of content that those ads are creating. And so it's kind of like creating this mystique around your brand new brand. Because again, it's all about getting the interest of the student that those ads are targeting. So, you know, in recent years, CA Student Living has been utilizing a lot of lifestyle photographs. So we'll physically go to the campus and hire people that are, you know, in Greek life or part of organizations and students at the actual university and do lifestyle photography, lifestyle video shoots. I think video campaigns have have become more and more of a staple. You're seeing it with a lot of the big developers. Now they're creating these beautiful lifestyle video campaigns. And it's kind of the first thing they post on their Instagram or their TikTok ads. So I would say lifestyle photograph and lifestyle videography are two of the really big things that we have been focusing on. And the resident feedback and the prospect feedback has been just phenomenal from those. And we hear it all the time that they checked this out because we looked interesting and it looked exciting and, and it was a kind of lifestyle that they were interested in living. Gotcha. Let's move on to on the ground marketing and talk a little bit about how far in advance a pre-leasing that, that that should start and what it should consist of. Adam, let's, let's start with you on this. It's definitely market specific. You know, Austin, Texas is a market where that has, students historically will start signing, you know, as early as 14 to 16 months in advance of move in. I think there are some scenarios where what I'm going to say doesn't apply, but ideally in a normal market where pre-leasing starts in August, September, I think it is fantastic if you can begin on the ground marketing 16 to 18 months before your delivery. So that's going to put you in February to April, the year before your your property is going to deliver. As far as what it should consist of, I think you can send a temporary team of marketers to the market to start building that brand awareness and start generating, you know, your VIP list. Also, if you have the staffing model that allows you to go ahead and put the team that's going to do the lease up on the ground that early, that's even better. They should be focused on going where the students already going to be. And if you think about February, March, April to the end of the spring semester timeframe, you likely have different kind of events around campus that are happening. They can get out and go on and around campus to do their guerrilla marketing. They can also try to participate in events that 
students are already going to be attending. Housing fairs a lot of times are happening in the springtime. Relay for Life events are happening in the springtime a lot of times. And then sometimes there's very unique events that happen that attract a lot of students. Something that we just participated in for our lease up in Bloomington, Indiana at Indiana University was this really cool collegiate bike race called the Little 500. I personally didn't get to go, which I'm really disappointed about, but I heard it was amazing. And in fact, one of my colleagues said it was the coolest college student event that he's ever been a part of. Trying to identify things like that that are already happening and you know, maybe your marketing team can have a sponsorship or, or set up a table or just attend the event and hand out t-shirts, koozies, sunglasses, some promo items. Go where the students are and build that awareness. And then looking a little bit closer to August over the summertime, you've got dorm move outs that are going to be happening. You've got summer orientations, summer school. So there's a lot of opportunity for your teams to start building that awareness and interest very early on. And I think you know the sooner that you're able to do that, the better off you're going to be when it comes time to launch leasing in the fall. That's funny that you say that because I went to Indiana and I was definitely a part of the little 500 festivities. So I can attest that it is, it's one of the coolest races in, in college for sure. The only thing I think I would add to that is Adam mentioned that having like that promo and that swag in those early marketing efforts, that should be really strategic. And the question is often, how do we get new and creative with swag? Because everyone's tired of the same koozie sunglasses, you know, one thing that is really effective is just getting on to Instagram and TikTok social media platforms and seeing what's popular with the students that are currently in college. And I'm sure that Billy has plenty of examples of this, but trying to create some really interesting swag that kind of mimic things that they already own or things that they want, but maybe they can't afford. A great example is we created a reusable bag that looks just like a bag you carry out of Lulu, like uh, Lululemon. It had the same font or the same print and a similar color scheme, but it was in our you know logo. That was a huge hit because people want to look like they're carrying something and, and you want them to use the swag because swag does nothing for you if it just sits on a shelf or goes into a trash can. So to Adam's point, I think getting the swag out there, but being really strategic and understanding what that market is currently trending with or using um, is going to create a, a huge buzz. Like the most recent example would be Stanley Cups. I'm sure that everybody or a lot of people on this webinar know what Stanley Cups are. So recreating an affordable version of the Stanley Cup has been a really successful piece of swag for us as well. Gotcha. Hey, before we move off of um, marketing and start talking about leasing office, we've got a couple of questions that I wanted to go to. We've got one from Jake Zarino. I'm sorry, Jake. I can't say the last name, but anyway, what percentage more per year does a marketing lease up budget tend to be than the same same site stabilized marketing budget. We talked a little bit about that earlier as far as some of the differences, but from a percentage standpoint, anybody want to take a stab at that? If you're thinking strictly just advertising and promotion three to six times, probably, and that's not taken into consideration, you know, the cost of a temporary leasing office, all of those sorts of things. I'm, I'm thinking strictly like your Google campaign budget, your paid social, your promo events, your promo items, that type of budget. Billy, just from a digital perspective, do you have, because uh, I know you're servicing more than just student housing, is there mm -hmm. typically a difference that you see? 
if we're going to get into vertical spend, I mean, yeah, I mean, student is at one level, then conventional is probably one step up, and then senior is even one more step above that. And that's simply because the value of a resident at a senior housing is extremely valuable. I mean, no. you're talking anywhere from sixty to $72,000 a year, depending on the type of service that they're getting. And it can be more and for longer periods, right? I mean, you're talking about someone that could live in that community for five, 10 years. So the value in advertising is a little different on that. But, you know, from a stabilized, if we go back to digital and stabilized versus lease up, it's, you know, digital differences. I mean, it can be probably as much in line with Adam's numbers as I'd say it drops to maybe 50% of what it was in, in lease up. Gotcha. Well, hey, I want to move on to talking about the leasing office because, as we all know, with a leasing office on a new dev, you're not necessarily going to have a model to show off. I have seen some that have built out models within a leasing trailer or something like that. But I wanted to, one, I think I've got a slot here. Yeah, I did want to talk about what the students said, which was as far as visiting leasing offices. And as you can see here, the overwhelming majority is that they, that is still something that's very important for them before they actually sign a lease. So I wanted to pose the question to you guys, what is an ideal leasing office for a new dev? And, you know, just kind of talk about location size and the needed elements. There's a couple of trains of thought to a leasing office. A traditional leasing office is always still going to be your best option. But I think the word traditional has changed in the last two to three years on what we consider you know, a really good leasing office. Whereas in the past it didn't have, it had to be decorated, but you know, it could just be decorated with renderings and maybe some furniture. But now the the shift has really become creating an experience from the moment that that prospect walks into the physical space to the moment that they move in on move-in day. CA Student Living has done a really great job of this. And we're fortunate to have such an awesome design team. And so what we've done is we've taken elements of our future building spaces and the renderings, and we've actually put them into our leasing offices. So when the student walks in, they're seeing actual elements that will also exist in the building. So from the wallpaper to the furniture that's in the front lobby, it's going to match exactly what they've already seen. So you're creating this experience. And I think Joanna mentioned it earlier, you're building a dream. This is a really important piece of that because, again, when you don't have a building to show, that leasing office needs to provide that same experience and that same sentiment so that when they do move in, you've met or exceeded those expectations. That carries across, of course, to renderings and all of that stuff as well. But, you know, I think that traditional leasing office is is so important and creating that experience is really important. Gotcha. I do want to move on because what do you do when there's not an ideal situation? And what are some of the alternatives that are out there? A couple of years ago, I discovered this group, Ootbox. They were actually on Shark Tank. They had reached out to me to see if their product was something that made sense for student housing. And they were thinking more along the lines of, you know, having a pod for studying or things like that. And I said, you know what, actually... We've got a lot of construction sites that are really, really tight. And if we could actually use this as a leasing office, that may be something that would work. And Sarah, I think you guys may have been their first trial with that. We've got a couple for, I believe it's Identity or Uncommon that are posted here. And then got one, I think this one upper right-hand corner is Yugo. I think two weeks ago was being shipped off to Tucson, I believe they said. So how are these type of alternative spaces working for you? And are there other types of alternative spaces that people should consider? 
The oot box was great, especially when you're in a case where maybe your leasing office is lagging a little bit on construction or it's a few weeks delayed in its delivery. As we all know, that happens. And the oot box was a wonderful tool for us. We set it up, we decorated it similarly to how the interior of the leasing office was going to be decorated. We lit it at night, which was also a really cool feature. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was fun. We tried to make it a, a space where we could sit and work, but it was also a space where if a student wanted to use it as an Instagram background or wanted to take a picture of it at night, it still looked really cool. And we did get some really cool photos of it at nighttime. So I think that it's a great alternative, especially again, when you're building the mystique of the brand, having that oot box set up outside, especially in the area where this one was, it's a really high traffic area for students that live in apartments at Boise State. It was really intriguing and lots of people walked up to it and looked inside of it. So I think it was a very effective tool. The other case would be if we were fortunate if a while ago, we had an office that was a little bit behind and we ended up using a WeWork space. We were very fortunate. We had a very awesome team that got really involved in the community and on campus life. And they actually did not see a hindrance to leasing at all in the fall semester by using that co-working space. So I also think co-working spaces are a viable option, especially when you can kind of decorate it or outfit it. If a leasing office just isn't in the budget, because they are sometimes pretty pricey, rents in high traffic areas for those types of spaces can be pretty high. So I think an alternative, you know, we working or co-working space um, is a great alternative. And, and we saw great success with it. But that, of course, comes with having the right people in the right place. So, again, we were fortunate to have two managers that really bought into the mission. Those would be two great options for alternative to traditional leasing offices. Great, great. Anybody else have any experience with alternative type of leasing offices? We've done the WeWork space a couple of times where we were working on getting our actual temporary leasing office open. Like Sarah said, I, I think it's a, a really nice viable option. I don't think I'd want to go through an entire lease up from a <laughs> WeWork space, but you could certainly give it a try. And we've done a food truck too for the same situation. We were able to set it up right outside in the parking lot where our actual temporary leasing office was going to be. And set up like, you know, some nice fake grass and have like a cornhole set and the staff just kind of hanging out and greeting students as they walk by. And it works. And I think when you're in a corner trying to get your, your actual temporary leasing office open, you know, those are some really creative solutions, I think, to make sure they're able to continue to, to move the needle during a challenging time. A couple of things. One, I wanted to update everybody on some of the polls that I've been launching here. Actually, I said earlier that the overwhelming majority of folks that were joining us today were actually site level, but that flipped during the time and it ended up being 30% site, 39% regional level. So way to go regionals. And then also a good majority of the people were also have worked on a leasing team for a new startup. So that was great as well. And one other thing I want to mention to everybody, the report that is available from UForce launched an offer just a second ago where it's got a link where you can actually go download that. So if you're interested in getting that, just click on that link. It'll take you to another tab and you'll be able to download it. It's a fantastic piece of insight into what our students are thinking. This discussion about the alternative leasing offices have been something that I've, that's been a conversation over the past, I would say certainly past eight years as these construction sites get closer to campus and they get tighter. It's not like back in the day when you're building something that's a half mile from campus and you're doing something garden style and you've got the land to put up a leasing trailer. 
And I have been kind of amazed at a conversation I had at Interface last month with some folks that said they've got a new development coming out and they don't even plan on doing a leasing office. They're going to handle and you know everything virtual and have some some meetup times that they're going to be meeting with folks, but they're not actually going to open an office. And that reminded me of a story that I tell a lot of folks. If you guys know Chase Lawrence at College Town Properties in Athens, when he did his first deal in Knoxville, and I guess this was in 2010, I believe it was, he actually went to Cumberland Avenue and just worked out the Panera Bread and kind of had a concierge type of meeting with everybody that he was talking to about leasing those apartments. And he leased it out 100%. I think it's only about, I think it's maybe 40 cottages or something like that. It's not a big property, but I thought that was really, really interesting that he didn't need a leasing office. He just needed to meet with the folks and kind of on their terms. And I'm just kind of wondering, have you guys experienced that where you don't need a leasing office? Are you guys having any conversations about it with developers? We don't currently have any projects in the pipeline where we're considering uh, 100% virtual. Trying that the first time would make me pretty nervous just because (laughs) having an office and a team. But I I could absolutely, for a project that's really well located and you're going to get that organic visibility and interest, I could definitely see going without a leasing office because one of the major challenges of a lease up is that people cannot see your project. And so you're really trying to get them to envision themselves living there and what it's going to be like. And a leasing office really helps with that sales pitch essentially. And the idea of taking that away is going to create additional challenges. But if you have the type of project where students are going to want to live there, no matter what, no matter what it costs, I don't care. Just get me in. I could see a leasing office maybe not being necessary in that scenario. Yeah, I would say it's definitely market dependent, like he said. Or if you're in a market that you had a you know a delivery deliver late last year and you think you're gonna go digital and not show some of the progress or not be able to show your quality of building, I think that would be a really tough sell. People want to see, feel touch. Like we are just showing renderings. We have to remember that. And so like what what are they going to trust us about? So it would have to be a situation where it would be an easy lease up where people are going to want to live there, the high demand it's, you know, perfect location. We know this is going to be an easy win. I think you definitely could go all digital, but we would do that last choice. If it was like, we get a lease up last second, they don't have an office and there's no options. All right, we'll go digital. We'll give it a shot. And I think it would be okay, but it would be really hard to do the vision selling and building rapport and building trust. People have to trust you. They have to trust that that building's going to deliver. We know with student housing, the buildings look crazy until the last month. You know, they don't look like they're going to deliver. And you do have a lot of those conversations. And so you want to have a place where people can come in, have conversations with you face to face, see that you can build an office out with quality product. And like, hey, if you go into an office and it's exceptional it looks incredible you can trust that the renderings that look good are probably going to come to fruition like they know what they're doing so yeah i think there's a lot of like pieces that will be missing if you go all digital that you would have to have solutions for and pre-think like what are some of the hurdles we go through at other developments that we have to solve for if we're not going to have a place to show off what we can do and what we're delivering yeah, to Joanna's point, the quality of the renderings and the the amount of those the rendered spaces would definitely have to increase. Right now, if you're in a temporary leasing office and you're doing anywhere from 10 to 15 rendered spaces, you'd probably have to render all of your spaces, including a couple of different floor plan layouts. Then additionally, having like a virtual reality tour or a fly through that really flies through the entire 
building and it gives people a better sense of what that building looks like because you don't have a staff there to kind of build that additional dream. So that does come with additional costs. So then you have to kind of weigh the pros cons of getting, you know, additional renderings versus a temporary leasing space because you definitely would need some more digital content that they could consume virtually. Yeah. And and I would say if you're part of that team that's going out to scout for a place, obviously the pedestrian access is going to be, you know, a key thing and having enough parking. I can't stress that enough. If you're not on a place at the center of campus where everybody's walking, if they've got to drive to get to you, make sure you've got plenty of parking, but don't be afraid to, this is one of the reasons it's so important to, to network with other student housing professionals at other companies because, and this actually happened in Knoxville. It wasn't a, a sublease situation, but I was helping a client in Knoxville, Tennessee a couple of years ago. We were trying to find an office and actually ended up using one that Landmark at or storefront that Landmark had used for leasing out the standard. And, you know, that was fantastic. I've seen some other situations where there's been an issue where a lot of these commercial leases you have to do for you know, a minimum of five years. Well, you're only needing that kind of at max for two years on a pre-leasing standpoint. So there's a lot of folks out there that would love to sublease and, and get that off of their expenses. So don't be afraid to look into those type of spaces as well. Well, guys, I want to move on to, I think, what's probably the most important discussion of this, and that is the lease-up team. When I think of the lease-up teams I've worked with in the past, there's just been something a little bit different with them, I guess is the best way of putting it, versus a stabilized property. There's very much some differences that you have to consider when you're talking about leasing an entire apartment community and you're selling nonstop and you don't have any residents to service. So can you guys talk a little bit to that? There's definitely a unique personality set that comes with leasing up new developments. And sometimes you can find that unicorn of a person that can go do a lease up and then move into the stabilized asset and be fine as a community manager. But really, typically, the person's not, they're going to be a new development type person that's going to hop around for you and and really be your go-to community manager for several years until they get promoted. So the outgoing personality, somebody that's not afraid to go have conversations with people on campus, with partnerships, with buildings, somebody that's really great at getting a team's morale and hiring team, doing interviews, picking the right personality, somebody that can engage the correct type of students at the university to be on your staff. Not everybody has that appeal to get students to want to work for them, especially part-time jobs. So it really does take a certain personality, a certain type of person. You want somebody that is really engaged with the university. They don't have to be local, but when you move them there, they know how to go figure out what's cool with that university. What are the important schools that I need to be making contacts with? Where What businesses are the ones that draw the most students that I need to be having events with and partnerships with to show that we are somebody important and cool and really get that easy in with their students. So you just really got to find somebody that's an outgoing personality that has really good work ethic that's willing to put in the hours. It is if you have a good easy lease up, congratulations, you don't have to work too much. But if you don't, it is a grind. You're doing evening events. You're going to be there in the morning so that you can get on campus. Like it is a little bit of a sacrifice, but there's a huge reward when it comes to new development. So it is really important you find the right person. You take your time, you find the right person. It is worth some of the time lost if you're not finding the right candidate to get that person in because if your entire team is 
the correct team, you will lease that building up. It comes down to like your branding. If students don't think you're cool, they're not signing leases with you. It's still that. It will always be that. The one thing that's the same with students every single year is they only care about what's cool. So your team is essential. Right behind your branding and, and your office would be third, in my opinion. Well, I've actually got a poll question to that. I'm going to okay. put out here just a second of what everybody thinks is most important. But just kind of curious, some of your firms do personality tests and, and those type of things. Are you guys utilizing anything like DISC or Myers-Briggs or anything to see if how that person's going to work in a new development situation? We are not. I mean, I love that idea, but it always comes down to dollars, I think. You know, we have strategic questions we ask. We have strategic people doing the interviews at this point. So people that have been involved in lease-ups that have been involved in successful lease-ups, more importantly. And then we have like, you know, a certain set of questions we really need to get through. And referrals, honestly, we have a big enough company that has a good enough reputation at this point. We do get really great referrals. So being able to rely on people, you know, this person's a great worker and being able to get that back. You don't always get that, but I, I think think that has been a huge help for us in recruiting. Gotcha. Well, hey, I know we talk every year about college students and, and how essential they are to the leasing team of being able to make that connection. But again, just curious, should college students be on that team? And if so, you know, what's the capacity? I think college students should be on the team. To what capacity can vary? I think you want to consider what are the strengths and weaknesses of your full-time management team? And then ideally for your college student team, you have a blend of strengths that, you know, try to get some people that are really great on the sales floor and can do a great job with, with prospect follow-ups, but also try to have a couple of people that are going to do a great job at marketing events, can have um, a lot of connections on campus and can, you know, post on their personal social media, essentially be influencers for your property and your brand. And I think you're kind of checking all the boxes if you can build a team of students that have those strengths. And I think another really important part of having college students on your team is that's your target demographic. And you know, as a manager, being able to get their feedback and get their input and bounce ideas about marketing events or promo, you know, whatever it may be, that's invaluable. And you can do that with focus groups and things like that. But I personally really like having them as part of the team because I think you can get them to buy into what you're doing and that amplifies your message to that specific campus. In the last minutes here, I want to move to leasing bonus structure. I've done a few of these in the past and I typically do it a little bit different for new developments. So just kind of curious with you and your firms, not necessarily your firms, but if you had your rathers, would you structure something differently for a new development versus stabilized? Obviously there's a budget in both situations but it's slightly different. And at the end of the day, new development is just about getting everything leased up. Any insight from you guys on that? In the past years, we've done it based on pre-leasing goals. So we have benchmark standards that you know we set out for the team at the very beginning of the year, and they earn portions of a, a full bonus as they hit those benchmarks. I actually think it's a great opportunity, unlike a lot of my fellow panelists, CA Student Living 
hires new managers for every project. So we're going out and we're looking for people that can not only do the lease up, but then also kind of do that transition into operations. I think there's a little bit of value in having that same face that you signed a lease with be the same face that's there on move-in day. And that often means that they're not here with us for a full year. And a lot of times corporate bonus structure, you have to be with the team for the full year in order to get, you know, a hundred percent of your bonus potential. So the way we structure it allows for that manager to be eligible for that full bonus potential as they hit those pre-leasing benchmarks. Because that's ultimately their main goal is to get you to budgeted occupancy and beyond. We get great feedback from our managers about that bonus structure. And I think it's a really fair way to do it. And it also gives the team something to continually strive for. There are lulls in new dev leasing, as we're all aware of. So having those benchmarks and those goals to reach, I think is something that can always be part of their underlying strategy and leasing that gives them something to work towards throughout the entire year. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Well, hey, I want to bring us to a close. We're at the top of the hour here. I do want to um, let everybody know about this poll that we just launched, which is what do you think is the most important aspect to ensure a successful new dev? And of course, <laughs> the winner there is 46%. I can't decide all of these factors are the most important, but uh, Todd for a second is pricing and leasing teams. So that's that's about what I expected. Well, folks, thanks so much for joining us today. I think it was a fantastic panel, and, and you guys have given some great information to the folks that have registered for this. I'm sure that they'll probably reach out to you on LinkedIn and try to ask you some more questions. <laughs> so, But thanks so much for your time. And Jessica, if you're watching, I'll make sure you get on the next one. <laughs> thanks, Wes. Thanks, Wes. Thanks, everybody. Well, again, a big thanks to um, to everybody that served on that on that panel and the insight that they brought. It was great having Billy on there as well because yeah. you know the last one we didn't have anyone from the agency side, right? And it was good to get that perspective. Although you know there were a lot of questions that you know are outside of Billy's wheelhouse, but it was great to get that agency perspective as well. So, uh, any takeaways? Yeah, I have a couple takeaways, but I want to just shout out the colleagues that were on the call, Billy, Adam, Joe, Sarah. I really appreciate them for holding down the fort when I had those technical difficulties. I know Joe emailed me. She's like, we missed you. I'm like, I missed you guys too. But I just wanted to shout them out because they did such a good job on that. I hope you all thought so too. My first takeaway is in the new development space, it's all about brand awareness, right? And we talk a lot about brand awareness and they talked a lot about brand awareness on this audio that you guys just listen to. And that revolves around content. Content is key. And not only that, video is king. So we all need to either work with experts in the space who can derive video for us and really lay down great video work that will be eye-catching and really resonate with the demographic. Or for ourselves, if we don't have the ability to hire for video, we need to work on our improvements and skill sets around a video and content lifestyle, most importantly. That lifestyle content tells the story of what it will be like when you lay your head down at a certain asset, what it will feel like when you are working out in the gym, what it will feel like for you to create memories with your friends. It's a very emotional sell that we have. It's not transactional. I tell the teams it's not like we're selling bread at the grocery store. You're selling where they're going to be making memories with friends for a whole year, for 12 months, right? 
So how can we create content that will make them want to bring their friends, live with their friends at our deals? Really quick on that. I'm so glad you you said tell the story because as soon as you said content, the first thing that pops in my head is tell the story. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, the story may not be right there. It's not the story about the developer and what they did to get the project approved. That's not the kind of story, you know, we're talking about. It's that exactly what you said, what it's going to be for that client and tell that story. I'm just curious because I, you know, I use a lot of storytelling and any kind of selling that I do, but especially, you know, when I was on site and especially in lease up was making sure that we, you know, were able to tell those stories. Is there any, anything in particular with storytelling that as far as a, um, a skill set that you would encourage people to I think more so a skill set is is a pathway for storytelling. So storytelling can be told through your social media, right? Your platforms, maybe your team members on site. But when you get an army around your story and everybody's telling the story, that's when it makes it very powerful. Our LV Collective sites did well this year because they have such a strong brand ambassador program telling their story from 50 plus brand ambassadors in the market. And that gave them probably 30 to 40% of their entire leases came from that BA program. So getting others to adopt your story, getting the right adoption to tell your story is so key when you're launching a brand that's supposed to be the coolest, newest thing that students want to be a part of. It's really powerful that it's not coming from the developer or the management company or even just the staff on site. It's coming from people that are in their chemistry class or sitting next to them at lab or you know at a hotspot the night of and you're like, hey, they're in a video. They're hey, they're a part of this brand. Like that's full on storytelling and recognition. That's when you've really penetrated the market well. Yeah, that's that's cool. Just have another takeaway? Yeah, the last takeaway I think is really important around you know that temporary office space. We always talk about that. Should we still have them? Should we not in the industry? What you know? What's the next thing to come? And I believe that we've been so successful at Asset because we've had clients that really buy into that temporary office space being experiential. It's mm-hmm. so important that we tell the brand through the temporary office space of having, you know, that correct vibe when you walk in. It's the same atmosphere and aesthetic that you're going to walk into the building with. And so sometimes you're translating some of those design aesthetics to the temporary office space. The girls and the gals that are working there are, you know, embodying the brand and embodying the resident base that's there in the market. It's really speaking to what that brand is and telling that brand story like we just talked about. I think it's really important to continue with those spaces because 53%, as you saw in the uh, survey from Euphorist and College Houses, that they want to walk into a, a space that can be met by a person and, and that's still important to them. So I think we still need to meet students where they are, where they want to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Jessica, thanks so much for the sure. additional time that you've given for this. And because uh, you put a lot of prep time into the actual webinar and I wanted to make sure that folks had a chance to hear what you had to say. So thanks for agreeing to do that. And yeah, always a pleasure connecting with you, Wes. It's always a pleasure. Yeah. Well, great. And if we've got you know anybody out there that's listening that either wants to tap on Jessica for some mentorship or 
you know, maybe it's a developer that's saying, yeah, I think this is the route I need to go. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. We'll put your contact information in the show notes. And again, thanks, Jessica. I appreciate it. Of course. All right. Have a great day, guys. Thank you. Take care. Bye, Wes.